just like to give everyone a, a warm welcome as we, we gather to worship and praise our God and Creator. Before, I'm just going to do a short reading, but before I do, just on a practical note, it, it is the last Sunday before Christmas and there are still a few cards out in the foyer, so if you could collect them from um, the pigeonholes, that would be great. Thank you. I'm just going to read a few verses from Psalm 86. And this is one of the, a prayer of David. And David says from verse 8, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And I'll give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. Well, we're going to stand with our, our first song, our first hymn, which I think it must have been cold when the hymn writer wrote this back in the 1800s. But once we got past the first line, we can really focus on the meaning of Christmas. Now, see amid the winter snow, born for us on earth below. See the Lamb of God appears. And look when this plan was, was, was enacted. Look when this plan was brought into fruition. It's been promised from eternal years. So before time began, God was planning this. Let's stand as we sing.
Well, let's pray. Let's turn to our God in prayer. Almighty God, we come in our prayer echoing that prayer of David, acknowledging that there is none like you, that you are the God of gods, that you are the King of kings, that you are the Lord of lords. And when we consider the works of man, we say how far above our works that yours are. And we realise and we understand that one day, because of what you've done, because of who you are, that all the nations shall come and worship before you because you are their creator. All the nations shall come and bow down and shall glorify your name because you are great and you do wondrous things and you are alone a God. And we see that at Christmas. We are reminded especially that at Christmas as we think of the way that you sent your son down to die. We think of what we are like and what we have done And yet, you seek to correct that. You seek to bridge that gap that we have broken by sinning. Lord, by your Son being obedient to you and coming to die on the cross. And we pray that if any of us do not know you as our Father, if any of us do not know your Son as our Saviour, we pray this Christmas time that with all the Christmas messages that are going out, the Holy Spirit would be active in our lives, that he would be active in our hearts, that he would be drawing those who do not know you, Lord, that he would be teaching them about their sin, he would be convicting them, and he would be showing them Jesus. And Lord God, each of us that do know you, we follow and we carry on with the psalmist and ask that in response to you and your greatness, that you would teach us your ways, that you would help us to walk in your truths, that you would unite our hearts to fear your name. And Lord, then we would give thanks to you as you help us with a whole heart and that we would glorify and praise your name forever as we acknowledge the greatness of your love towards us. And we see that the most greatest through the death of your son on the cross, through the death of Jesus as he died. And help us respond to that message this Christmas. Help us not to be too caught up with everything that goes on. Christmas is a great time of families and getting together and we love that Father God. What a blessing that is. But help us not to get caught up with the commercialization that we lose sight of. This is the time where your son left the perfection of heaven and come down and lived in a world which would ignore him, which would Uh, fight against him which would do everything but follow him and that's humbling and as we've been thinking about Christmas we think that up and down this country as people go into Christmas services the Holy Spirit will be working and that he'll be changing lives that he would be drawing people into your kingdom we pray that this Christmas your name will be honoured and glorified and lifted up. And we think of after Christmas too, with the Hope Explored courses, we pray that there would be people who are willing, who are ready, who want to find out more about you. And we pray this course would be really useful in reaching out to people to teach them about you. Father God, we 
are very aware of COVID at this time. Lord, we're very aware of our government and we see man's wisdom in work. We pray that they would turn to you for wisdom. Lord, you are a wonderful counsellor. You are very wise and we know that it's the fear of you is the beginning of wisdom. We ask that you would draw our government, those who are making decisions, to look to you for guidance, that you would help them to make those decisions. And may they be for the good of us and of us as a country. We do commit to you those in the NHS. We pray for the doctors and nurses. As winter is a difficult time, we pray that you would help them and strengthen them. Lord, we pray if it is your will that things would not get worse, that cases would not go up, that people would not get ill. But Lord, we submit to you as our sovereign God and pray for those. We pray for those who are in hospital at this time. It always seems more poignant when it's at Christmas. And we ask that you would be with those who we know are in hospital and ask that your hand of healing would be upon them. Lord God, we also consider those that we know that in education ask that over this Christmas time they would have a real break. Lord, many are tired. May they be refreshed, ready to deal with whatever comes next year. And we pray that you would help them in that. And obviously at this time, Lord God, we want to commit Christy to you. And the children, we pray that you would uphold them, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them peace. Uphold Christy as... Each of the children are of different ages and they need different support. We pray you'd strengthen them, strengthen her in them. Lord, we pray that you would help with all the practicalities that need to be gone through at this time. We pray that they would go smoothly. We commit to you, Alan and Jean, and ask that you'd be with them. We pray that you would be with their children and the nephews and nieces. We commit Dan and Bex as they worship amongst us. We pray that you would be with them too. Lord God, we, we don't forget Christ's side of the family. We pray that we would remember James and Diane and ask that in this difficult time that you would be, you are going to move in an amazing way and we will be able to look back and glorify your name from the goodness, um, the way that you've glorified your name through this tragedy. And Father God, we also bring before you James and Rachel and ask that you would uphold them and strengthen them at this difficult time. We thank you that James has been able to go to the services today, that he's been to the evangelical, their Christmas service. The other day we asked that they would be a blessing. We pray that you would be with their church as the Turks and as the Africans respond to tragedies and respond to these type of things perhaps differently to what we do, and ask that you'd give him wisdom as he has to deal with that too. Lord, through all of this, we pray that we would look back and be able to glorify your name and see the amazing way in which you have worked in these circumstances. And now, Lord, we want to bring John before you as he brings your word to us, as he reads it to us, as he preaches from it. We pray that our hearts would be receptive to your message and that our lives would be changed by your power. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to come to our, our next song, which is Child in a Manger. And it's, it's remembering, isn't it, that we often sing about Jesus in a manger as a baby at this time, but that's not where he stays. 
We're very grateful that he's now in heaven above, that he's there being worshipped by the angels, being worshipped by those who have gone before us. And that's what we long to do, worship him as we stand and sing now. Let's stand and sing. This evening is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. So we're going to be reading the first uh, 17 verses of Matthew. Uh, When you look at it, you might be glad that you weren't asked to do the reading this evening. A lot of names, lesser known names. But uh, I'd ask you to look out for four things through the reading, rather than concentrate particularly on the names. Look out for four things. Look out for... The beginning, look out for the blocks, look out for the buys, and look out for the birth. So the beginning, the blocks, the buys, and the birth. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, 
and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Iliakim, and Iliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Well, may God give us understanding of his word as we've read it and as we give it more thought later on. And uh, the themes behind this tie in well with our next song which is the song, The Promised Time Arrives, the time of God's appointing, the time when one is born who bears the Lord's anointing. What prophets long to see is finally made clear, for Jesus comes to earth and brings the kingdom near. Let's sing our next song.
So, a Christmas list is the title for this evening. Maybe you have Christmas lists or have done Christmas lists. In our family, we do, we get dished out with uh, blank uh, uh, sheets of paper with Christmas lists written at the top for us to put down our present ideas and the approach of Christmas. I do have one here, actually. Christmas lists. I kept it covered. I don't want any steels to be enlarged on. I'm for you to see what's on Esther's uh, list. Christmas lists. Some compile them quicker than others. Christmas lists. Well, here at the start of Matthew, we have a Christmas list. Uh, We have a list of names. We have a register. We have uh, a family line. We have a genealogy. We could have called it a Christmas family tree. A Christmas family tree. Well, that might surprise you. It doesn't really seem an attention grabber at the start of a gospel, does it? If you submitted an English essay, English story or whatever in creative writing and you started off with a list of 40 odd names, I can well imagine your teacher might give you back the essay and say, you need to redo your introduction. It doesn't seem like off to a good start. Well, the Jews were into their family lists. So the original readers would have been more intrigued about this than perhaps we are. And the Holy Spirit has deliberately left this at the start of the Gospel of Matthew. So there's actually lots to learn from this list. In fact, I think I'd be, I'm sure I'd be right in saying that the things that went on my Christmas list which were returned as items of presents, though I might be very grateful for any of them that I get, are to me nothing compared with the lessons and the truths which are behind this Christmas list. This is the Christmas list to be concerned about. I've set on to thinking about this uh, partly by my Advent book, Uh, I generally read an Advent book actually in November to try and get my thoughts going for Christmas and also to see if the book might have other uses. This year I read one by Sinclair Ferguson called uh, The Dawn of Redeeming Grace. And it's based on Matthew 1 and 2 and it's given me quite a lot of seed thoughts both for tonight and perhaps for other things that will follow on in the days ahead. So we're on the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew and we're going to follow it through by the four headings I'd like you to think about uh, at the start of the Bible reading. So we're going to start off thinking about the beginning. The beginning. Verse 1 is an enormous verse. Verse 1 is an enormous verse. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's a bigger verse than you probably thought. It has in it the word genealogy, the book of the genealogy. And that's not just talking about a list of family names. The word is actually Genesis. Genesis. So it's to do with the first book of the Bible and how it starts. It's to do with how the first book of the Bible is actually organised and ordered. It's a word about beginnings. 
It implies a new beginning has started and is here. It really refers to the whole book, it seems. So, the book of the genealogy. So, I don't think this is just an introduction to the next 16 verses. This is about the book and what it introduces. So, one of the things to notice about the beginning is the fact that the word beginning is in there, or genealogy. The book of the genealogy, the beginning of Jesus Christ the son of David. And we have a new beginning as we start to read the Gospel of Matthew. The coming of Jesus is a, a new beginning. It's a, it's a restart. It is Genesis again. It is a new kingdom. The prophets long for this. They talked about the new covenant and new hearts and they thought about new knowledge and forgiveness and a new king and now it is here as we come to the Gospel of Matthew. A new beginning. True in history, true in people's lives. The coming of Jesus makes the possibility of a new beginning in our lives. Whatever the past has been, A new beginning is possible because of Jesus, because of his coming, because of what he did on the cross and what he did in rising again and because of the work of the Spirit. A new beginning is possible. And maybe this is an encouragement for you tonight. The Christian message is a message of new beginnings. The coming of Jesus is about a new beginning. Yet this new does not disregard the old. This new does not disregard the old. It builds on the old. It fulfills the old. So we'll pick up on this as we, as we go forward. But just see what follows. The book of the genealogy, the beginning of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The Old Testament leaves us with some things sort of dangling things which are untied up. Not talking about small fringe matters for the picky. No, we're talking about substantial plans of God's purposes left dangling. We'll look at this a little bit more. But one of them concerned what would happen with the line of Abraham and one of them concerned what would happen with the line of David So when we read verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the bells start to chime. We get our hopes up. It's as if we've seen the name of the mill and we're ready for the banquet. We've seen the shape of the present and we're ready for it to be unfolded and unwrapped. Things start to get going just in this first verse. The son of Abraham, the son of David. More on those in a moment. So we have at the beginning a new beginning. A new beginning that connects with the old. A new beginning that completes the old, fulfills the old. So the beginning. And we go on to the second. Going to spend a bit longer on this. This is the biggest of our parts. The blocks. The blocks. Matthew goes through his genealogy, his family line, 
in a different way from Luke. If you know your Bibles, you might say, might realise there's another one in Luke chapter 3. Uh, Luke goes backwards, Matthew goes forward. Luke goes back to Adam, uh, Matthew starts at Abraham. But also they take a different route through. Now, of course, genealogies can be traced um, through different routes and converged again and converging again. So, as it happens, I I have uh, an old school friend who I've renewed contact with this last year after about 30 years, and his profession is a genealogist. So, we exchanged a little bit of emails the last couple of days. I just thought I'd double-check this, although it seemed fairly obvious to me, and he, he confirmed that, that genealogies can be traced through different routes and they can converge and converge again so your your great 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 granddad can be your great great granddad through your mum's line and through your dad's line it can happen like that and Matthew takes a different route from Luke through the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew neatly divides his Genealogy into three. And if you, if you didn't notice, it's spelt out in verse 17. If you didn't notice the blocks, they're nicely divided in uh, the way it's conveyed in our uh, translation. But if you didn't get that, verse 17 sums it up. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation from Abraham to David, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And in this, Matthew wants us to see a couple of things. I think he wants to convey order and momentum. He's deliberately arranged this big family tree into three blocks. Three blocks of 14 or 14-ish names. He's gone out of his way to do that. He actually jumped some of the generations in order to make it possible. And you can do that with genealogies. You can say you're fathered and miss a few generations. That's quite appropriate. And he does that so that he ends up with three blocks of 14 names. And he's conveying to us what we need to appreciate is that there is an order to history. That God is working his purpose out that there are key events in God's mind which are being outworked. That God is in control of of history being made and his purposes being rolled out. Perhaps that's why Matthew goes forward. It's, It's conveying thrust and momentum and a journey and a plan. This is God who is in charge of history, in control of all things, working out his purposes and that's conveyed by an orderly three blocks of 14. But he also wants to convey three landmarks, if you like, as he goes through three particular things that he focuses on. This is a Bible overview, really. There's a Bible overview here, and he picks out three particular things en route to Jesus, which it's good for us to realise and really wrap all the things together. 
So in verse 17, you see it again. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So the first is Abraham, isn't it? It's Abraham. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham. Verse 2 starts there. Verse 1 actually ends the son of Abraham. Verse 2, that block starts Abraham. One of the great uh, determining promises or set of promises in the Bible was given to Abraham. Great promises which shape the whole of the Old Testament history, the world's history. One of those promises was that through his seed, through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Nations would be wonderfully blessed by God through the family line of Abraham. They were still waiting for that. That hadn't really happened. In fact, they were waiting for the proper fulfilment, actually, of the other promises to Abraham as well. And we notice that Jesus is son of Abraham. Are these promises going to be fulfilled? Promises left, dangling if you like, from Abraham's time? Hopes get up. First landmark. Second landmark. David. David. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David... He starts the second block, it's part way through verse 6. talks about David the king, and David was the start of the second block. David was promised a son on the throne forever. He had a son on the throne for about 350 years, which was an amazing achievement in history in and of itself. But that seems to have disappeared, and by now we don't have a proper throne in the country, really, and we certainly don't have a son of David on it. Could it be that Jesus is going to be that king? Is the leader that we've needed of God's people going to arrive? Royalty is is highlighted a lot in this list. David is given... The title, David the King, not many of them have a title by them, but he does in verse 6, David the King. And the middle block of these three uh, takes a royal route through the family line, one of the ways it differs from Luke. It takes a royal route through the family line. Now, if you were travelling across London, uh, you could do it different ways. Uh, You could go the river route, might be quite scenic, along the Thames. Uh, You could go the shopping route more to the north and go along Bond Street and the other streets and see the shops. Or you could go the royal route and you could make sure that you pass Buckingham Palace and the Mall and Horse Guards Parade and the Royal Parks, the royal route across London. Well, as Matthew goes through his family tree, he picks the royal route. He picks the royal route. So if 
You look, scan verses 7 to 11, if you know bits of Old Testament history, you might realise that actually a lot of those were kings. This is the royal route, the royal line of Christ. It's even highlighted, it seems, by the figure 14. We think, well, why did he why did he block it together in figures of 14? 14 there, 14 there, 14 there. Well, without getting too complicated and going into detail, um, some, mum, some numbers do mean things, don't they? So if I said to you 999, you'd have certain things going through your mind. If I said to you 007, a good number of you would have certain things going through your mind. If I said to you 911, that might mean a lot of things, to, especially those of you a little bit older numbers, have meaning. And the number 14, I'm going to go into detail, points towards David. It's pointing a kingly route. So we have really a royal register here. We're expecting the fulfilment of the promise of David. We're anticipating a king in the line of David. So can you start to see a little bit why verse 1 is a gigantic verse? You're coming away from the Old Testament with some of the things unfulfilled and you hit the wall of the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Two of the landmarks. You're on tiptoe for them to be fulfilled. Is this going to be it? Now we come to the third landmark. And I I think this is the one that's a bit surprising. This made me think, but I, I found it helpful and I think it connects with our situation actually in, in some ways too um, this week. Verse 17. So, you've had your Abraham, you've had your David, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So in deportation to Babylon, what was this about? I don't remember much about that. The deportation to Babylon is when the people of God, the people of Israel, people of Judah, were captured and taken in exile to a foreign land, to Babylon. Jerusalem fell. It felt like the end of the nation. That's what it felt like. It felt like the end of the nation. What has happened? What has gone wrong? It was the lowest point, if you like, in their history. It felt like things had got just to a dead end. It felt like they got to a cul-de-sac and there was no way forward. That's what it felt like. In fact, the sadness of that time is reflected in in Matthew chapter 2, where you have words of deep bereavement. They're used to reflect what was happening in the Bethlehem district because of Herod's malicious, awful acts. But they're drawn from the time of the exile, this time, deportation to Babylon time. They're in Jeremiah, and and they're words of deep pathos, It says there, 2.17, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. 
Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. They're words of inconsolable grief. Very deep words, very sad words. A voice was heard in Rama, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And there can be times like that. Some of you know there can be times like that. And that is the the voice, the verse that expresses what it was like to have the capture and deportation to Babylon. That is the exile. That's how sad it was. That's how perplexing it was. That is how uh, impossible it seemed to comfort at the time with what they were going through. And yet in this line, we see there was a route through it and beyond. The history of Israel didn't stop at the deportation of Babylon. That low point, that confusing point, that bewildering point, that point when everything seemed lost, and yet the line carries on. Talked about it being a cul-de-sac. You know, it made me think of this. This is certainly true in Crowborough, isn't it? Um, so many of our cul-de-sacs, you think, you think it might be a dead end. And so many of our cul-de-sacs in Crowborough got a Twitten, haven't they? An alleyway. I could think of, well, I think I could think of 10, maybe 20 in Crowborough. You might think of somewhere you where It looks as though you've got to a dead end. But ah, there is a way out. There's a way through. There's a, a way forward. It is not the end. It is not the finish of things. There is a route through. Sometimes our circumstances can seem so dark, so calamitous, so dreadful. Sometimes it can feel inconsolable like we have expressed in this verse 18. But this, this, these two chapters on this are a reminder that There is a route through, there is a twitten, there is an alleyway out. And perhaps it might be an encouragement to those of you who are going through, who have gone through such indescribably difficult times. There is a route through. Hope is not lost. There was even a future beyond inconsolable grief. Things continue beyond the deportation to Babylon. So you have the beginning, you have the blocks, the order, the momentum. You have these three landmarks, Abraham, David, the king, Babylon, and yet a future beyond that. And we move then, thirdly, to the, called the buys, the buys. Uh, four times Matthew includes something which he might not have done. There are four buys. I made it four. I don't know if that's what you made it as we read through verse three. By Tamar. Verse five. By Rahab. And also in verse five, by Ruth. 
And then in verse 6, you had by the wife of Uriah. Now, about 10 years ago, um, there was there was uproar. There was uproar in um, the US particularly, but a bit beyond, about some, some photos in an ultra-Orthodox Jewish paper. Um, at that time, the, the mastermind of the Twin Towers, the head of Al-Qaeda, uh, Osama bin Laden, many of you will remember that name from history, had been caught and killed by special forces. And there were some photos of the national security team in the US at the time watching things as they unfold from the command control centre. And when this Jewish paper included those photos, uh, there were two women who had been, if you like, photoshopped out of the photos. There was Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State, equivalent of our sort of Foreign Secretary, our Liz Truss, and there was a, a lady who was the Counter-Terrorism Director. Uh, the paper claimed that they never had pictures of woman, women in their paper out of decency and concern not to provoke lust. But as you can imagine, it, accused a, it caused a lot of a huge furore at the time. Now here, Matthew does the opposite. Matthew does the opposite. It is a, generally a father's genealogy. You see that, what's the father of, what's the father. And yet he goes out of his way to include four women. Well, five if you go right to the end. That they needn't be in there, these four, if you like, in the strict order of things. It, it was possible to include them in genealogies, but you didn't generally. But it's as if he especially wants them to be airbrushed in, if you can airbrush in, or photoshopped in. He wants them there. He brings them in and puts them there. These are the buys. These four ladies are the buys. The route through the genealogy, the mums. And they're there for a message. They're there for a reason. They are all, if you like, unlikely ladies. They're unlikely women to be involved. They, they're, in some ways, they're women that another person might have deliberately wanted to keep out rather than actually whisking them into the genealogy. They are mostly non-Jews. They're mostly non-Jews. Probably Tamar was a, a non-Jew. Re, Rahab was a, a Canaanite. Ruth was a Moabitess. Bathsheba had married a Hittite. So they were non-Jews. And by this, we've been reminded by Matthew as he compiles it and puts it together that Jesus came for all nations. He didn't just come for the hyper-religious. He came for those who had little religious background. We saw that last week here in the evening when we thought about the, the three, the, the wise men, if there were three of them, the wise men. And that was in Matthew 2. At the, and it goes even earlier in the Gospel as we start Matthew 1. Jesus came. The purposes of God include those who have not been religious till now. The family of Jesus includes and incorporates those who have not been religious until now. This is a hope-giving line of names. And it wasn't just that they were um, non, mostly non-Jews. 
these ladies are often linked in some way with questionable morality. With questionable morality. Not necessarily their fault always. Clearly the case with some. If you were to read the account of Tamar in Genesis 38, it makes pretty awful reading. Rahab was a prostitute. We have heard of that recently. Bathsheba was the sad object of David's awful adultery. And these people are airbrushed in. They're brought in. And the message is Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for those who are caught in scandal. Jesus came for those who make big mistakes. Jesus receives sinners who repent and turn to him. Those who have suffered at the misbehaviour of others. They're all included in God's purposes. They're scooped up and brought into the family of Christ. So these buys are very moving, aren't they, really? These photoshoppings in are very moving. And it gives hope for people like us. People with no heritage, maybe, in terms of religion. People perhaps with checkered pasts. It gives hope this evening. Perhaps you particularly came feeling messed up and distant and guilty. And then the message is Jesus is the rescuer you need. Praise God for the buys in this list of names. And then we come finally to the birth. To the birth. In a way, we've come like a fast train. You know when you travel on a fast train, you whisk past some stations, don't you? You do find you trying to stop to read the name, but you're often going too fast to actually read the name of the stations. Well, we've come on this journey through this list of names. We've whistled past lots of stations. We've stopped at three main stations. So your fast train does that. Stopped at, stopped at the big ones. We've stopped at three main stations. we stopped at one with tremendous views. Tremendous optimism. We stopped at Abraham, the station of promise. We stopped at another station, another main station, and that had sort of gold-plated paintwork. This was the royal station. This was David. We stopped at a third station. This was dark and dingy. The weather was awful. That was Babylon, deportation to Babylon. We stopped at three things on our journey but we're still going forward. And what's the final destination? What, if you like, is the fourth? You come to it at the end of verse 17. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. We have it in the, the verse 16 just before that. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, that's our fifth woman, of whom Jesus was born who is called Christ. Another woman is mentioned. There's no immorality, but the cloud of scandal will probably over the situation. Notice the term used for what comes from her. Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Christ, verse 1. Christ, 
verse 16, Christ, verse 17, Christ, verse 18, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Saviour, the one who would bring the message from God, the one who would bring the leadership of God, the one who would bring access to God, prophet, priest and king, the Messiah. Silent Night announces, doesn't it, Christ the Saviour is born. Christ the Saviour is born. Christ the Messiah, so much a subject of Old Testament Psalms and Old Testament prophecies, anticipating the coming of this great leader, this new king, this new prophet, this new priest. And Christ was born, that is the birth. Christ is here. At last, the Messiah has come. The birth. Probably more about it come Christmas Day as we hopefully track a bit further down Matthew chapter 1. So, just to bring some of this together, you imagine this, it's decorating time, and you imagine this room, and there are, there are four big bits of tinsel. You know, some people decorate their, uh, their, uh, houses with very big, sort of chunky, long bits of tinsel. There are four bits, and, and, and perhaps they're dangling in each corner. It looks a bit of a mess, they're just dangling down, or sort of a bit wobbly, unconnected, and you look around your room and you think, well, this is, this is a finish, this has got four bits of tinsel just around. One of them is son of Abraham, Abraham's promise. One of them, son of David, the kingly line. One of them is the hope of Israel, the one who would bring them through uh, uh, through the, the deportation of exile and all the sadness and grief of that period, uh, grief of that period of their history. One would be the prophecies of the Messiah. And you come to the end of the Old Testament, they're just dangling nowhere. And then you pick up four bits of tinsel, and uh, in the middle, the ceiling, your drawing pin, or a few drawing pins, you put them together. Maybe you have uh, one of these little gold stars as well. And your whole picture is of symmetry and complete and brought together and beautiful. That's really what Matthew 1 does. Brings together the parts of the Old Testament which so long to be fulfilled and they're fulfilled because Christ, the Saviour, is born. More to this Christmas list, isn't there, than we realised. Well, may God encourage our hearts by the things that are taught as we've looked at it. And some of these come out in our last song, which we're going to sing together now, which is, Joy has dawned upon the world, promise from creation, God's salvation now unfurled, hope for every nation.
Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to capture the wonder of what has occurred with the Lord Jesus Christ being born. We pray that you'd help us to to realise the tremendous fulfilment that is occurring in his coming, the outworking of your plans, the coming of a saviour, the one who gives hope, the king and leader who is the rightful ruler over us, the fulfilment of the promise of Abraham to bless the nations. Courage us by your word and bring glory to your name. We pray through Jesus Christ. Amen.